Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Is This Music, a podcast on the mysteries of musical taste, why we love the music we love and hate what we hate. My name is Malcolm Fraser, your guide on this journey through the musical mind. And my guest on this episode is Garbage Face. He's a rapper, musician, writer, multimedia artist based in Peterborough, Ontario. We know each other through the DIY underground electronic weirdo touring circuit. And he's a very interesting person. Uh, In this chat, we start off uh, at a leisurely pace. We get into some pretty deep stuff. And towards the end, we find the answer to uh, some of the biggest uh, what is this music questions that uh, have been themes of the show. Uh, So uh, no spoilers, but uh, it's exciting, (laughs) to me at least. So enjoy the chat. See you on the other side. Garbage face, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Malcolm. Um, so you are uh, a longtime musical performer on the uh, sort of DIY circuit. Your music is sort of like, I would say, on the intersection of kind of like a rap world with like a heavy electronic music vibe. Is that yeah. more or less accurate? Yeah, I would say so, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I'm curious. How did you get there? Like, what are your what are your early musical loves? You know, uh, how did I get here? I feel like to to really understand. I mean, at the very least, like maybe not my aesthetics, but like the performance style mm-hmm. was. So I used to I used to live in Ottawa. Um, back in from like 2002 to 2004, and at that at that point, I was um, I'd graduated college and I was living on living on my own. Like I'd I'd uh, gone to college in Toronto, and I decided to to move to Ottawa, kind of on a whim in a weird way. I was supposed to move to Montreal and just wasn't feeling it, so I ended up kind of staying. The the Greyhound just stopped in Ottawa, and I just stayed there. And, oh wow! Um, you don't hear the words "whim" and "Ottawa" in the same <laughs> sentence too often. You know, it's funny. People have this perception of Ottawa as like a really boring town, uh, or like a I don't know, like n- not a fun place to be. But I I had a great time living there. Um, well, you know, Ottawa goes in 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 uh, in phases, and I I'm from Ottawa, so I'm allowed to slag it off. But, right. Um, but. Um, in my perception, like it goes in cycles, right. um, partly because it's a college town, partly for some other mysterious reasons. But like, there have been times when, like, when I was in, I went to high school there, and it, it was like, as far as seeing music and stuff like that, it was pretty great. Like, there were a lot of cool shows. There was a really, really healthy local scene. Um, anyway. I've, I mean, I could yeah. go on, but I mean, when I when I lived in Ottawa from 2002 to 2004, like punkottawa.com was like super active, and I was going to shows sometimes like four or five nights a week. Like there was just and and not sh- just going to a show for the sake of it, but like things that I wanted to see and bands that I wanted to see, and 
but at the time I was, um, I was like in a, a, an acoustic performer. I did like singer okay. songwriter things. Okay. And the way that you would get, um, the way that you would get gigs as like one of those, one of those people is that, um, you would get, I would get booked at these like pubs, right? Like some pub with like half of a PA system and they would pay me, you know, like 75 bucks and a, and a pitcher of beer to play for like three and a half <laughs> fucking hours, you know, like just uh-huh. these punishing for someone who actually like cares about the music that they're singing and it's not just covers or whatever. It was just like mm-hmm. a punishing reality to live in. Oh Yeah. That's brutal. Uh, you know, just people. I, I was going to say, I mean, if you're doing covers, it's one thing, but if you're doing your own original acoustic singer-songwriter music, that's just, that's true punishment. Yeah. And I mean, I would do covers here and there, but it wasn't covers that anybody wanted to hear, you know, and it wasn't covers that okay. anyone knew really. And, uh-huh. uh, and I, I don't even want to, like, I'm not even going to say I was very good either. Um, but I was doing it and try and trying to make a go of it. And um it was it was awful. Like I hated it. And and then the the uh workplace that I was working at unionized and mm-hmm. I'm I'm going somewhere with this. The the workplace that I was in unionized and our contract was like retroactive to a particular date. So it meant that okay. everybody everybody who was like who was part of the union now got these like considerable checks, like two or three thousand dollars, which is like in, you know, in two thousand two money was like a chunk of cash. Yeah, no and, kidding. I mean, it still is today. But, I was um, gonna say, you know. Uh, anyway, it was enough for me to buy a MacBook Pro and um and I and a copy of uh, Reason, which is like a, a music production software that I still use today. Mm-hmm. And um, it it basically gave me the tools to like start making electronic music and start making rap, I guess. Like I had always been into rap because I grew up listening to Rage Against the Machine, Public Enemy and Das Effects and Onyx and Gravediggers and, and these bands that were just aggressive and political and and so I started mm-hmm. I started making electronic music and, and beats and my friend Neil and I started this rap group called uh Unexplained Bacon which was like a I don't I mean yeah I don't want to call it joke rap but it was definitely on the like funnier side of the spectrum like we we took it seriously right. and we took the creation of it seriously but we were very um goofy in a lot of ways but the whole it's a proud ottawa tradition going all the way back to organized rhyme (laughs) organized rhyme exactly and you know what i what i realized when we we played our first show at the agora bookstore um which was like upstairs kind of where the avant-garde bar it's like a university bookstore uh Mm -hmm. and it had this like lounge upstairs and it was the first show I had ever played where I didn't have a guitar or like a bass or or anything because I was in like metal bands in high school and stuff. And not yeah. having 
not having an instrument like to anchor me to a particular place was like so freeing. <laughs> it felt I felt like un untethered and at that point I I was I I made this like quiet vow to myself that I was like I am never going to let someone fucking talk through one of my sets ever again. Like I'm never <laughs> I'm never going to let someone have a conversation two feet away from me while I'm just like pouring my guts out doing music ever again. And so that like performance style, I mean, you've seen Garbage Face play a a few times Mm -hmm. at least. Yep. And that, that performance style really comes, came out of that frustration of like, God fucking hearing these yahoos, like having, like I'm playing songs that I wrote <laughs> and people are standing two feet away from me going like, yeah, man. So how did you have a good weekend? Yeah. Oh yeah. Any plans or just soul crushing <laughs> shit, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, have you found that you've been able to fulfill that as a goal? <laughs> I mean, I try my best. I I remember actually once this uh I was I was playing a show at this venue called The Spill, which is sadly no longer open, but um I used to play there a lot and I used to work there actually and and uh this this other band uh well actually members from this other band were there, uh this other Peterborough band and they were playing i I used to play at the back of the room like i would uh where the soundboard yeah, was so i, I plug right that. into the soundboard and i would um i would i would perform from back there and and there was this pair of dudes who were who were having like a chess game <laughs> on a coffee table back there and they were just i mean they're they're sweet guys i know them it's not to slag them at all but they were just insistent on having this chess game and keeping the lights on and all this stuff. And I like to turn off the lights when I play. And so it, they kept turning on the light during the first part of my set. And it got to a point where I just like ripped, (laughs) ripped the light out of the socket and like knocked, Uh knocked the chess game on the table. And after the show the one, one of them was talking to me and, and was really, I mean, really trying to appeal to my like better, sensibility and and say like you know you shouldn't do that to people or it's not very nice and and i was really you know i didn't i was just trying to hear him out but a friend of mine said that a friend of mine came over and kind of i guess was trying to put him in his place and said that playing a chess match during a a garbage face show is like trying to play a chess match on like a train track and uh yeah (laughs) i felt that that was yeah, I've definitely had s- similar experiences. Like I remember, I was playing at this terrible venue in Montreal once, and uh, there was like a couple sitting at a table right in front of the stage, like having an argument, <laughs> right. like during my show. And I was just kind of like, "Do I jump onto the table? Like, do what? What do I do?" I've had that happen a few times, and I, ultimately, I kind of concluded that if you focus your energy too much on the people who aren't paying attention, it's like kind of negative. Like it's better to maybe focus on the the people who are paying attention instead of neglecting them just to get attention from the people who don't want to give it to you. For sure. And that's, that is something that I think I've learned. I want to say the hard way, but 
but almost in this kind of growing older and wiser kind of way that a lot of the time when I when I sort of like lash out at people who are bystanders to a show because there's I mean especially at this at this sort of level where you're playing like <clears throat> you know really small clubs and 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 places where people might just be by happenstance you know like they might not even really know what's going on and they might just pay five bucks to get in to drink somewhere um yeah i kind of realized that like although my like antics trying to sort of shake people up might be entertaining for the people in the audience like it might be a, f- a fun thing for them to watch i always feel shitty after the show <laughs> like i always <laughs> it fucking yeah. makes me feel like shit because i've just given these given these folks who are who have not given me anything i've given them my whole evening and yeah it's a weird psychological thing like it's different if you have a whole audience that hates you or or like an audience that's on the fence then you can like potentially just like decide okay i'm gonna be the wrestling heel tonight and just like you know soak up the hate and throw it back at them and sometimes that's like you come out of that with your dignity intact because like people some people can come around or some people will like appreciate that but uh anyway yeah Um, and i mean i've i've turned crowds before both against me and toward you know like i've (laughs) I've turned crowds away and i've i've walked people out of out of the venue you know but many times many many times um but it always feels i mean ultimately it always feels better when you can kind of take a take a skeptical audience and turn them towards you and get them to get them to be into it um of course that's a great feeling but i just it's still the the that problem of like what do you do about someone who is oblivious to their own presence in a room and like yeah and taking because in a in a in a club show of like 50 people and under or even like 100 people and under it it really doesn't take much to like draw people's focus away from from a stage right like it can yeah, just take yeah, sure. one idiot one yahoo like waving his arms around or doing something goofy to all of a sudden ruin the fucking vibe and it it's difficult when you just yeah, like it's difficult when you just want to create a vibe that someone is just oblivious to how they're <laughs> ruining with everything that they do. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I I, I feel like I, I can extend a little bit of empathy to that person because I'm pretty sure I've been that person, you know, once or twice in my life. <laughs> but i mean uh, i'm i'm yeah. sure that i have been too and that's you know yeah i can i mean i'm i'm sure that i have been that person as well um but it's a it's a it's a problem i think it's especially a problem for uh like a performer like me or or like a performer like you when you're doing when you're doing solo stuff where it's it's already it already feels like it can be like a bit of an uphill battle to like 
to get people to take you seriously or to not dismiss what you're doing I, I don't i don't yeah it's yeah well i mean you know it's it's always a it's always an uphill battle um but um i mean well i shouldn't say always of course there are those you know magical uh occasions uh of which i've uh, i've shared a few uh, w- with you i would say um so you uh, do do or you know have done a lot of performing a lot of touring on the kind of uh underground DIY circuit in Canada like possibly more than anyone i personally know like really hitting the small you know obs- when i look at your tour dates i see like cities and towns i've never heard of <laughs> right um and uh and i mean i think that's so cool it's something that i've kind of always wanted to do but 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 never totally managed to um and you also uh you you have a great newsletter that you send out to your bandcamp subscribers um and you also uh wrote a book you you self published a book uh, a few years ago learning to swim with leviathan thoughts on music and survival um which i thought was really cool um very inspiring in a lot of ways um i felt like in a way the i i wasn't the target reader in a sense it seemed more targeted at like a young person thinking about getting into music is that is that fair to say yeah i mean yeah definitely targeted at i mean you know the people in my experience like of touring and of and of playing shows and and going to all these places like um it's it's not that people who are above a certain age don't enjoy music or don't play shows or whatever cuz they do and i mean shit i'm almost i'm turning 40 this year i'm i'm still going to be going to shows and playing shows but in my experience like there is a kind of age demographic where kind of roughly from like 20 to 30 where people either have like the disposable time or the disposable energy or the disposable like income or whatever to, or, you know, or the willingness to like live in poverty (laughs) to, uh, Uh to play music and to, and to tour and to, um, yeah, kind of try to, try to make a, a go of it. And, um, I was writing that, that book, um, I mean, so I I should say the the book was written partly thanks to a grant from a festival that happens in in my hometown in Peterborough uh, called mm-hmm. Precarious Fest, and Precarious Fest is like a a festival looking at precarity in the arts and precarity in in life, and uh-huh. so it, it seemed like a good i a good chance for me to, I guess, like pontificate on like things things that I've learned, uh, things that I believe about making music and about how to, how to make it sustainable, like as, as, as like a human being, not, not as a business or not necessarily as, you know, as, as a going concern, uh, financially, 
but survival in terms of like how do you how do you keep going in this when the odds are like so stacked against you all the time like yeah because you know even for people who are i think even for people who um are involved in musical idioms that are like much more sellable than than mine or than yours or uh you know probably a lot of people listening to this like e- even for even for folks who make very palatable music that is has a lot of commercial potential the odds of like m- quote unquote making a living doing it are just like astronomically low you know Sure. Yeah. I, I suppose that's prob that's true. Um, and I mean, I, I, uh, one of the things that, you know, I was rereading the book in advance of this chat with you and I, I kind of like on a second reading, it, it was a, it, I had a bit of a different take on it. That was a, a bit more kind of inspiring, just, I guess, sort of what you said that it was like, just about the importance of, um, you know, looking at, you know, I guess art for art's sake is sort of a cliche, but like looking at your creativity and your creative work um, on its own merits rather than like an idea of success. Um, but I was, I'm, I still, I mean, I don't know if I disagree with this per se or if I just haven't found the right like yin and yang balance of it, but I felt like sometimes your your take seemed to be like you were sort of discouraging people from like going into the music business per se yeah. is that fair to say um i don't necessarily but no i mean it's it's it is fair to say cuz i think that that i think that it, there's some some of that tone in there for sure um i think what i'm more try I mean, rather than saying I'm discouraging people, I think I would I would probably put it in terms of like I want people to to go into things with their eyes open about what mm. about what the what the deal is, like what what you what you are giving and what you are getting back out of it. And right, I think that I mean I, I mean I talk a lot in the in the book about um labels or de- you know taking deals and what it means to take a deal and and financial breakdowns and things like that and i go through a whole scenario mm-hmm. of like a band taking a deal and what it means to like recoup on a deal and and all of that stuff yeah and it's and i know that some of that is like kind of um in many ways right now uh, it feels like a moot point. Like it feels like um, labels have become kind of irrelevant, and there's the idea that people can kind of come out of nowhere and become famous has has never been more. <laughs> I feel like it's never been more prevalent than it is now. But yeah, to me that that sort of to me that sort of mentality is like the antithesis of sustainability and and survive like and survival like when i when i talk about artists surviving and and um i'm i'm not really talking about like paying your rent 
you know paying oh, your rent know. is really I kept fucking... waiting for you to 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 uh like tell tell me how I was going to be able to do that and <laughs> never came <laughs> yeah i mean you know i i mean shit i don't pay my rent with my music you know like i can't i it's it's an extremely difficult level to get to and everyone i know who has gotten to that level has made a lot of trade-offs and and i think for the most part they're comfortable with them i think that some of the trade-offs they're definitely not comfortable with um but you know being uh being on tour and being uh surrounded by a lot of younger folks a lot of the time I wanted to put something out there that would give them a sense of what it means, what it means to continue creating like past the point, past that like, man, when I, like when I turned 30, my friends who were in, who were into music and making music and in bands and really active, like they just started dropping off. (laughs) Like it seemed like more and more every year just you know going to fewer shows no longer putting out music um no longer in bands um and that's not to say that they weren't do- that's not to say that like being in a band is the most important thing in the world it's you know i understand that people's lives change and and they go on to do other things but i think it's really it's like a curious to me it's like a curious phenomena that 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 happens and that i would say probably 90% of the people i knew who were making me probably even more than 90% of the people that i knew who were making music in their 20s and really active and passionate about it are not doing that anymore and i think what what I was trying to do with the book is put something out there that gives people a sense of what it looks like to to maintain an artistic practice and what kind of um and what kind of things that might lead to it could lead to situations where you're um where you're offered money or where you start to develop a career and when those things yeah. come up y- if you want to survive those things, because I, because I, I mean, I also know people who got to a certain threshold, and and the, it tended to be sort of towards the end of their twenties, got to a threshold where they were, where they did start to get attention and deals and whatever, and I mean, thinking of, I'm not going to name names, but like thinking of the examples that I know, invariably. Mm-hmm those deals led to the demise of the band or the artist, you know? Like, sorry, not the right. demise of the artist, like their death, but like the death of that artistic The demise project. of their artistic career or ambitions or whatever. Yeah. And... Yeah, well, yeah. It I just mean, bums me out. There's there's bands that I wish still existed because they were fucking killing it. And then they they like dipped their toes into the industry and it was like acid. It just burned everything off and those bands don't exist anymore. And it's such a drag. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's uh, that's that's totally fair to say. I guess, like, for the sake of argument, I just wonder, like, I mean, I think it's, as I said, like, it's really inspiring to me to, to look at, um, you know, an artistic career or, you know, trajectory um, and, like, just taking money and success out of it and thinking, okay, well, what is it, you know, what is, what is, success mean um you know beyond like uh being validated by other people um because in a way that's kind of like what it comes comes down to you know it has to do with um you know money and obviously like everybody needs money to live and like this sort of you know it's kind of a dream like that uh your your art is is your job you don't have to have a day job you just do your creative work all the time. Um, but another part of it is like constantly needing, like any therapist would tell you, don't base your self-esteem on other people's validation. <laughs> right. But that's kind of what having an artistic career is. Yeah. Like <laughs> at all t- at all levels. Yeah. And know? that shit can turn on you so fast. <laughs> like yeah. so fast. Yes. And yeah. I, I actually um, got, I mean, I actually got a lot of pushback talk like right i mean a lot of pushback i got several comments from people who read the book who were really bummed out when i talked about how having having a day job can actually make you more free as an artist because i was my argument in the book was like look if you don't if you aren't bound by anybody's expectation or anybody's contract or anybody's you know idea of of the expectations you have to fulfill for x y and z reason like you're a free person i know that having a day job means that i mean i have a day job (laughs) i know that having a day job means that you have less time to practice uh you know to engage in an artistic practice but at the same time at the end of the day i'm kind of happy that i've i've never you know, paid my rent with music more than like a month in a row because man, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but like I've done some desperate ass things to pay my rent at times, you know, like (laughs) I've, I've made some bad, I've made some bad choices and done some bad things to pay my rent when I was really hard up for it. And I think the idea of like paying your rent with your artistic works is a really nice idea like you said it's kind of like a dream right but paying your bills with paying your bills with your art um it's i think it's fraught with the same issues as paying your bills doing any other kind of labor for sure no absolutely i mean when your art becomes your job then you have to do it whether you feel like it or not you know <laughs> yeah. like that that that's kind of like the flip side of it um but uh but the only thing i would say um as a kind of counter argument is like you know you you cited some some classic bands before like rage against the machine <laughs> right uh you, you know i forget what other um what other artists you named like a bunch of hip hop yeah, like artists pub- public enemy and Public yeah. Enemy. I mean, there, there's, there's, you know, those are two great examples, like Rage Against the Machine and Public Enemy. Like, 
they're huge iconic bands like and you know artistically and politically like the work they did is super important right but like there's no way that like blind ambition was not a part of of the plan for those artists like you know what i mean like they clearly had they they were they were ambitious like uh, not just creatively but like in their careers like i guess you know in the at, at the end of the day it's like you know you talk about this in the book too it's like trying to reach the most amount of people you possibly can mm-hmm. and like in some cases that's inherently uh limited but like i guess i guess what i'm trying to get at is like would we have been influenced by artists like that if they hadn't had a blind ambition to succeed and reach a huge audience like maybe not right i mean i think i mean yeah the po- the power of those bands was undeniable but the the machinery that like got them there you know the machinery that got uh public enemy to be played on an am radio station in my small town in like 1991 Mm -hmm. um is is a huge you know it's it's a it's a huge apparatus that was involved in like marketing and and pushing that band forward and of course you know it's not to say like but I guess that's what I'm saying is like I'm sorry to interrupt but just like while I have the thought in my head like th- if they had said like no we don't want to be involved in in like having a big marketing machine behind us like maybe we never would have heard of those groups Yep I mean I think I would, think you're wouldn't right Wouldn't that be kind of tragic in a way I don't know if it would be tragic <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if tragic <laughs> is the right word but um it I mean you know, your point is well taken. And I think that, that it's something that I try, it's, I mean, it's something that I try to get across, which is that it's not that, it's not that participating in this, in that machinery is necessarily good or bad. It's, it's that I think artists need to really, really try and wrap their heads around what is happening at each stage so that they don't mm-hmm. get chewed up by it. Like, I mean, Rage Against the Machine is a good example. They were so, ma- they were just massive, like a fucking massive band, okay? Also super political. <laughs> also on Sony Records. And I mean... When they broke up, I mean, they broke up in, what, like the early 2000s after putting out like a covers album to to complete their contract. Okay. And Zach, like the, the singer, Zach, was barely ever heard from again, still to this day. <laughs> like probably one of the most like vibrant... Um, MCs and one of the most like uh coherent and articulate MCs about really complicated 
political issues all like all over mm-hmm. the world um basically st- like once that band broke up he basically fucking quit the business <laughs> like they put out uh he put out one ep with um a band called one day as a lion which was zach the dr- drummer from the mars volta and then the keyboard player from the locust of all of all people and okay. th- it was a pretty good little five song ep but my my perception of that situation is that zach was essentially gr- you know ground up in the gears like he was he mm. was uh he was like the uh the husk of the wheat after it's been ground up like it just he never he never came there there's been rumors like he's working on an album with uh lp from run the jewels or whatever there's been rumors about solo works for years but i think it's yeah he did a cameo on one of the run the jewels songs if i remember yeah and rage against the machine gets together every once in a while and they and they play shows and my you know my understanding is that a big part of those reunions is that you know they put a lot of money towards like various causes that they support and i think my, like my my how do i say my sources tell me my my sources okay. tell me that Zach would probably be a big part of that push um okay. but i think it's very i think it's very telling in in my and i'm not trying to be like conspiracy guy but i think it's very telling that like one of the most vibrant and articulate mcs basically fucking disappeared after his major label band was done like and i don't think it's because he didn't have anything more to say hmm yeah well that's a that's a whole other uh story it's kind of interesting but i totally see what you mean and and you know don't get me wrong like you know, I, I know that success can be very, very difficult for people. It's a mind fuck and it takes away your privacy and it, you know, it makes you accountable to like all kinds of interests that are like nothing to do with creativity. And, and, um, and so, I mean, in, and sorry to interrupt, but in Rage Against the Machine's case, like they were, I mean, name name me another band who wasn't name me a name me a band who was more misinterpreted <laughs> by their fans like the amount of fucking yahoos who listened to rage against the machine and who oh sure it was like keg party music in oh my the, god in the like 90s people doing beer what do you call uh, keg beer stands while, <laughs> beer while, beer while pumping their fists and going fuck you i won't do what you yeah man me. when i was there was a uh i um a guy in toronto who who had kept his um fucking barbecue meat stand open defying like covid covid regulation lockdown or uh. whatever and I don't like where this is going. <laughs> and they had a, they had a, you know, it was like the first day of the lockdown or whatever. And he's like, I'm staying open. And he did this like big social media thing and whatever. There's people lined up outside the place and they, <laughs> one of the news cameras like goes inside the, the barbecue shack 
And they're playing Rage Against the Machine, and it fucking bummed me out so bad, man. Like, it just... Like, I I wanted to... I literally... I'm not being hyperbolic. Like, I wanted to fucking cry. I was just like, this is so shameful. (laughs) Like, this is... You have no idea what this fucking song is about. (laughs) You just have no clue. And there's a, a Discord Records band called Black Eyes, and they have a great... They have a a song called Pack of Wolves, and it has this great line that is just like seared in my memory, but it's the beginning of this song called Pack of Wolves, and it says, uh, what happens when fuck you, I won't do what you tell me to means that I will still fuck you even when you tell me not to. And I'm just, and every time I hear that, I'm just like, fuck. Like, (laughs) that just like sums up Rage Against the Machine's career in like one line. Yeah, true. So, Speaking about you, you you just name checked a Discord records band, and I, I was another thing that I noticed recently when when checking out your book um, was that I mean I you know again like you you are are part of this uh, DIY circuit that I traditionally associate with a kind of punk mentality, and certainly like your your uh, your stance, your anti corporate stance is I think of as very very punk rock but when you talk about your musical development you don't really talk about punk and and in in fact in the book you say something uh very harsh towards punks and tell me <laughs> Do if I? you know misinterpret well I, i'm gonna read you back a quote and tell me if i'm reading it wrong but it says talking about um you know the dangers of getting involved with record labels and so on and you say this is not about quote-unquote selling out the way that selling out is positioned in the minds of most people is as a childish concern, the realm of punks and losers, those who would never have any practical chance to sell anything, let alone their shitty music. And so they play, <laughs> and so instead they play childish thought experiments about turning down hypothetical money. And I was like, whoa, harsh, harsh <laughs> on the punkers, man. Yeah, I mean, I what I was getting at there, I mean, I, I think you're... I don't want to say you're misreading it, but I think what I was getting at was that selling out is seen as the concern of punks and losers, and I think. Oh, that, okay. Yes, I, 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 it's, it's, it's a next level that I didn't, uh, <laughs> that I didn't read into it. But I, th- I think what you're, I think what you're getting at is, uh, or I mean, in a way, you're not really misreading it because what I am getting at is that. The idea of selling out, I mean, it's just such a funny thing because it's easy to, it's so easy to turn down hypothetical money. Like, it's just so easy to talk about um, the ethics that you have. Like, ethics are, ethics exist when they're tested, right? Like, ethics are Mm -hmm. not like a hypothetical, uh, philosophical exercise it's like ethics ethics are things that are tested every day and and it's very easy to talk about turning down corporate money or having an anti-corporate stance or whatever when no one (laughs) wants to buy your music anyway like it's just Yeah, yeah it's very it's very easy to to have ethics when they're never tested um mm, so true you know and i think in a lot of cases in the punk scene where that mentality about selling out is 
it's like a wellspring of it. Um, there's never any hope of the corporate world being like, hey, come on over here and we'll give you all this money if you just do this. But there have been times throughout history where that has happened. <laughs> like, For sure. And, For sure. I mean, you we... know, you, I mean, uh, there's a quote in the in the book or I do these kind of like sidebar quotes or whatever. And there's a quote for me and Mackay talking about, you know, what about the story of the, like, I want to hear about the story about the band who said no. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that the, he is the only example of that as far as I can make out. Yeah. But it's funny because when people talk about Fugazi, part of the reason that they're even like, part of the reason that they're known as that band is because they came up in a time when an independent band could sell a hundred thousand CDs or a whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like where that idea wasn't completely laughable. Um, they, I mean, that's not to question at all how they did it. I mean, I think that they, they're a great example of a band that was um, whose ethics were tested numerous times on so many levels, all like constantly, and they really did seem to stay true to everything that they talked about. But mm-hmm. that's not to say that they didn't. They still benefited, even though they didn't take the deal, quote unquote. They still benefited from the gold rush of the post Nirvana, like what is the who is the next abrasive band that we're gonna try and um turn into superstars like they yeah they were aggressively courted after that and i think part of the reason part of their part of the reason they got as big as they did is because they said is because they said no and that that story um perpetuated itself through the culture i think it would be like i think I don't know that you could like recreate that magic today because like bands who won't take, you know, it's like a dime a dozen. (laughs) Take a deal. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also think, I mean, you, you sort of like hinted at this and I don't know if this is exactly what you meant, but like, you know, I think the only other sort of um, like glowing example of like the, the sort of stalwart um, never sell out kind of like attitude is like um you know constellation records and godspeed and like uh but but in in their case i really feel like i mean i don't doubt for a minute that they sincerely believe everything that they say but um like their lack of marketing is a brilliant marketing move and i don't know if they would ever admit that or even like realize it (laughs) Sure. I mean, it's like, you know, nothing, nothing makes me more excited than hearing about some black metal band in France that like never plays shows. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, <laughs> man, this is fascinating. Like, tell me more about this. <laughs> like, I'm here touring towns that people have never heard of and playing, you know, weird bars that, that are looking at me like an alien. And there's a, there's some band that I order their records from europe and they've not only do they not only do they do i not even know who's in the band because they don't release the names but it's like 
they don't play shows. They've never played a show. They never will play a show. It's just like, who, who are these people? <laughs> yeah. I think that like obscure for a certain type of collector or like curious person, which, you know, I definitely am this, this, this profile, like obscurity is like really appealing. Yeah. It's like paradoxically, the more you hide, the more like appealing it becomes. Absolutely. Um, okay, so who like who are um like who who are your big inspirations musically? Like you, you talked about about getting into like hip hop and, and things like Rage Against the Machine early on, like from your transformation from your singer songwriter era, which I'm very <laughs> curious about, by the way. Um and and then uh like discovering like music gear as a as a portal into the more electronic world like who are your who are your other big inspirations been through the years um that's a good question i mean it's been you know different different things hit me in different ways at different times and it's not uh it's not always rap that that is inspiring to me in fact like i would say I kind of I kind of feel the same way about metal. Like when I was really actively making metal and and in metal bands, I I rarely listened to metal. <laughs> um I don't mm. know if that was because I didn't want it to sort of like affect what I was doing or what or if I was finding it difficult to find inspiration in those bands, but like when I'm really actively working on my own stuff, I tend to listen to um, I mean, it's weird. I will go through long stretches of time where I don't listen to music, like hardly mm. at all, other than what I'm working on. I'll, I may go like a couple of months without really actively listening to anything other than like fucking podcasts. And then, right. and then I'll kind of snap out of it and go, okay, like I've, because I'll probably still be buying music during that time, even if I'm not listening to it. So I'll have like records to listen to, or I'll have like Bandcamp stuff that I've bought to listen to, and and I'll dig back through it. But um, I was the other day I pulled out a record by a band called Rat King, who was a, a rap group from New York City, and um, goddamn that band! That band inspired the shit out of me when they when they their debut came out in 2014 and that was kind of around the that was that was sort of around the time of the the like beginning of the second like second wave garbage face the the first wave of garbage face was like 2009 to 2013 and i was using like a looping pedal pretty much exclusively Mm -hmm. and i was really into the looping pedal and when i first started using it people were looking at me like I was doing a goddamn magic trick. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah. That looping pedal can have that effect for sure. Yeah, and but by in the span of four years, it had gone from like, what is going on to I literally had people coming up to me after shows and saying like, oh, yeah, like my cousin does something like that. I'm like, really? Does your cousin do this? <laughs> like, I hate you. <laughs> but... um <laughs> Uh, so like second, second wave, uh, garbage face starts around like 2014 and I'm using, uh, an SP 555 sampler 
and I discover this band called this rap band called Rat King. And it turns out like their beat guy also uses an SP five five five, and so I I become kind of like enamored with this this band. But they're also just like really scrappy and noisy. They 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 have this kind of like punk vibe. They talk about mm-hmm. like touring in a van, and they talk about like like they play their like they play their stuff through amps and stuff instead of just like a a PA system, and it's very like in a lot of ways, very harsh sounding. So that was like hugely influential on me. And then like 2015, 2016, uh, got really into an artist called Lil Ugly Mane, who, who had this album called, uh, Oblivion Access, which was like, oh my God, this album is, it's very hard to describe, but it's like, it's super, it's super janky at times. Like it's got this, um really off kilter kind of sound but is just like incredibly dense has these moments that almost feel like free jazz or like noise Mm. and then in like 2016 2017 i started getting really into like quote-unquote mumble rap like really got into young thug like really got into young thug (laughs) it's just like man young thug is amazing and it and okay like, this is this is like a a come to jesus moment for me so to speak because <laughs> you know on this podcast i talk a lot I, I ask a lot of people like what music do you love what music do you hate and like a lot of people say that like their point that they can't get past is like mumble rap and i was just the other day saying like i need to find someone who loves this stuff so they can <laughs> you know make the case for it so now I have. Man, young, young Thug is like, I know, I, I mean, I know that people people sort of bristle at like the 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 auto-tune sound. I get it. Like it's, I, I don't really love auto-tune either. Um, but I had this like moment, I had a moment a couple years ago or probably around the time that I was getting really into Young Thug where I saw T-Pain mm-hmm. did like a, T-Pain who's like, you know, many people will know T-Pain as like the fucking king of autotune, like just mm-hmm. autotune all over the place. And T-Pain did a, did a tiny desk concert on NPR where it was just okay. him singing, singing his songs with no autotune. And the guy's voice is angelic. Like it's amazing. And cool it was this moment that clicked for me where I was like, Oh, like maybe auto tune is an aesthetic choice. Not like a, like the same way that punk bands fucking all sound like they're singing through a telephone or whatever. Like it's Mm -hmm. like, maybe it is a, an aesthetic choice rather than a, I don't know what I thought it was before. I, people are using it cause they can't sing or whatever. Um, but anyway, back to Young Thug. I I had like a serious. There's a young There's a Young Thug album called Barter Six, which is okay. The title I think is like some take on Lil Wayne, who also is like I guess considered. I I don't know if Lil Wayne is considered a mumble rapper really, but um, 
but I don't think he is, but he might be kind of a progenitor of the yeah. subgenre, maybe. Yeah. I'm totally talking out of my ass when I say that, but I'm just uh, I'm gonna no, put it I, out there anyway. I, that that feels that feels right to me too. Um, but so I think like Lil Wayne uh, had a series of albums called like the Carter Carter One, mm-hmm. Carter Two, whatever, and. So Young Thug puts out an album called Barter Six because I guess there was okay. there was no Carter Six or whatever, and Barter uh-huh. Six is just this beautiful melodic album full of full of these like super memorable hooks and like really, I mean, I <laughs> I know it's I know it just sounds ridiculous, but I had this like moment where I was listening to it and I was, I had probably smoked some weed and was just listening to it and go, and all of a sudden the lyrics came through in my ears with like such a clarity and I could mm-hmm. understand what he was saying. And I, I, it like stopped me in my tracks where I was like, I think Young Thug is a good, is good at lyrics. <laughs> like I, I was like, <laughs> he fucking knows what he's doing. Like, I don't necessarily always like the lyrics, like a lot of, like a lot, you know, like a lot of rap is, has, is like problematic to the nth degree at times, but like, yeah, yeah, but like shit, man, it's a, it's a really, really good album. And I've been a fan of Young Thug ever since then. And now anytime, I mean, there's still a lot of like quote unquote mumble rap that I like really uh, you know, it doesn't do anything for me, but some of it really does something for me. And I did not expect that to happen <laughs> on any level. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems to me like it's a, a uh, like a generational um, marker. Like it's like people past a certain age just are physically incapable of getting into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. So you've, you know, I don't know if you're the exception that proves the rule or just like a model we should look up to, to like smoke some weed and listen and, and see if the mumbling becomes more clear at that point. I mean, I think it's never a bad idea to smoke some weed and, and try to listen to something again, <laughs> especially if you hated it the first time. Like, give it. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So, okay, on that topic is like, is there any music that you just can't, get into no matter how hard you try oh. no <laughs> no <laughs> i wouldn't say so i love that answer because I, I even love that answer. like and and people will i'm sure people will will argue with me on this uh but this is the god's honest truth like i so i spent a couple of years um when I was doing my master's, I spent a couple of years going around to rodeos. I did my master's on rodeo culture in Canada. And okay. I spent a couple of years going around to rodeos uh, all around Ontario and, and in other parts of Canada. And you know how people always, I mean, people will always say, you know, I I love all kinds of music except rap and country, <laughs> which is like... Anytime I hear someone say that, I just immediately disregard their opinion about anything. <laughs> but okay, I got so into new country, like not 
Because everyone says, well, I people always qualify their opinions about country too by saying like, well, I don't, I like country, but I like Johnny Cash or I like uh, who, you know, whatever other yes, legitimate. Yes, I believe I said something similar to that myself just the other day. Yeah, and that's fine. I mean, that's fine if if that's truly what you like. But I'm telling you, man, having been in I feel like I was experiencing new country in its proper context, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no doubt, like, no doubt. It's important to try and, in from my perspective, it's important to try and, like, experience music in the context, like, in a, in a space where it's not being, like, inflicted upon you. Like, when, so, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that when people hear new country, uh, when they're, like, walking through a, a mall or like a whatever that they hate it because it's just being inflicted upon them but like i'm telling you man at a rodeo in like small town ontario hearing like uh save a horse ride a cowboy i was like yo (laughs) this is (laughs) this is fucking sweet yeah you know the only time i ever gave new country a real chance was when I was driving around in the south, southern U.S., and it was like, that was all there was on the radio, basically. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, like, do a deep dive. And I still, there, was, <laughs> there are some stumbling blocks that, <laughs> that I still have a hard time getting past, but, but, that, but, that, but I did feel like I was at least listening to it in the proper context. Yeah, and you know what? If you still don't like it, like... More power to you. You don't have to, you know. Well, at the, least I tried. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing about music is that there's just, there seems to just be infinity amounts of it that you can enjoy if you don't, um, you know, if you don't like something. But I think I think that something that I've kind of settled into over time is that, like, I, I feel like life is too short to, like, hate <laughs> music like i just i as i get older i find myself hating hating the bands that i hated before much less hmm. and yeah i can see that you know and that. just having a more laissez-faire uh kind of outlook where i'm just like or like not laissez-faire like live and let live kind of outlook where i'm just like look a hundred gex or whoever isn't really my thing, but like, you know, enjoy yourself. <laughs> like life is short. Yeah. If you can, if you can squeeze some kind of pleasure out of like some music and, and it makes your life a little bit better, like go for it. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, while there's a danger of like getting calcified in your tastes as you get older, there's also, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, the idea that you should like um, not hold on to grudges and like, you know, right. forgive people who did wrong things to you or let go of, of baggage. And maybe that's it's a good to do that musically, too. Um, yeah, I mean, I love, you know, uh, not rediscovering. That's the wrong word. But what you said, just like kind of listening to something that I always thought. I couldn't stand and like kind of coming around to it a little bit. Yeah. Or even going back and listening to things that like from when you were a kid, like, um, 
like new metal, <laughs> you know, like I, I love new metal when I was a kid and I, I spent a long time keeping it at arm's length going, I better not listen to this again. Cause I'm going to be embarrassed for myself, <laughs> for my past self. Yeah. I mean, the last time we talked, you, 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 you mentioned like being embarrassed to, to admit that you liked Limp Biscuit, And I, I was like, I, I found that kind of touching because I didn't think that you would admit to something like that but i mean it's um, not you know it's i i feel like it's i feel like it's important to give yourself permission to like have to to have liked things at different times and to and to revisit them and try and figure out what you know try to remember what you liked about it cuz like when you're when you're like 15 or 16 you just have nothing I mean, you have so much time to just consume music voraciously and you listen to things over and over and over again. I'm telling you, man, like putting putting on a Limp Bizkit album or putting on a, a Korn, Korn's second or third album or shit, even the first one, like I still, I feel like I, I know everything by heart. <laughs> like I can still remember where every every note lands and everything and it still unlocks this kind of like visceral feeling of like this rules even <laughs> that's such a great feeling yeah even though on I mean, the on the on an intellectual level i'm like you know better make sure i'm not accidentally <laughs> live streaming this <laughs> or what I, you know like it's <laughs> it has this um there is something that uh, on the intellectual level makes you want to hide it away that you like this. But like my, uh, I always use as a, a DJ name, I always use uh, DJ No Guilty Pleasures because I feel like people should just like what they like. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I mean, there's no doubt about that. And, and like, it's kind of funny to think about even the idea of being embarrassed at, at your, at your taste. Um, because um, you know why, you know it has to. It all has to do with like this weird sort of like difference between the way you present yourself to the world and the way you really feel, or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah, and what's but, socially um, acceptable for people to engage with, you know, depending on their age or depending on their whatever like you you name yeah. the demographic feature there's there's all kinds of like you know that was uh so many people talk about that in uh like punk or in metal or whatever like there's there's certain times in your life where you're just supposed to let that shit go and like not engage with it anymore but you know the what if the music still rules <laughs> yeah yeah i think that like you know letting go of childish things is kind of like a, a a part of um well i mean that's a quote from the bible right mm -hmm. like or it, it, you know it's it's part of this weird religious shame um concept that still has has its vestiges of like hooks in us as as people I mean, obviously you can't, you know, like I, I have a six-year-old son and like sometimes I just think like, man, you don't know how, how good you've got it. Like I wish that I could just 
throw a fucking tantrum when I'm not. <laughs> like, he's allowed to do that. Like, I can't throw myself on the floor, beat my hands and feet, and scream at the top of my lungs. Yeah. Believe you could. me, I, I want to do that. You could, but the <laughs> cops will show up. <laughs> like, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, that's why I do things like that on stage. You know, get it out there. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, my my point was more just like, of course, there's some things that you that you have to let go from childhood, but like things that you, uh, you know, music that you love, why? You know, just hang on to it. Things that bring you joy. Yeah, man, the world the um, world is a dark and sh- and shitty place often, and why people would deny themselves like simple pleasures like that just blows my mind. So true. Well, hopefully, you know, like the <laughs> the 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 handful of people who hear this will like cast off the shackles of their, of their shame <laughs> and just go go embrace what they love. I hope so. Um well, listen man, it's really great to talk to you and um you know, as I often say at the end of these chats, like I I really look forward to our next our next hang in real life, uh, whenever that may be. And, you know, for us, I imagine it will be in some like, you know, obscure bar in some, uh, strange town where we're like, you know, possibly trying to fend off like an, like a combination of, uh, fans and then like someone, uh, you know, not paying attention to the (laughs) act and, (laughs) I hope so, man. I hope sooner than later, because I it's it's going on. I feel like it it will have been two years. Last show I played was like Winter Solstice of 2019, and I feel like it'll probably at least be until then, and until I play another show in in front of people again, and can't come soon enough. Yeah, well, I think we're all in the same boat as far as that goes, but um, yeah, um, I look forward to it. That's our show. Hope you enjoyed it. You can find Garbage Face over on Bandcamp. And if you subscribe um, to his music there, you'll also get his newsletter, Under the Full Moon. It comes out once a month. And it's just full of interesting stuff. I always learn so much whenever I read it. Um, I wanted to mention to all you listeners that I'm going to be making an adjustment to the schedule of the podcast. I'm going to be scaling back to doing two uh, episodes a month instead of once a week. Um, I'm getting busy with a bunch of projects. I'm going to be doing a monthly radio DJ appearance on the Free Kick Show on Sundays from 11 to 1 on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal or CKUT.ca from anywhere. Um, Just playing a bunch of music. I've been doing it uh, sort of unofficially for the last uh, almost a year, but we just locked in that uh, I'll be doing it on the last Sunday of every month. Um, So that's exciting. I've got a bunch of other things going on. But I love doing this podcast. I I would love to, uh, to do it more. And uh, if there's any hope of that happening, of course, uh, you can help out by giving us a rating, leaving a review, or telling a friend. And, uh, you know, I I like to say sometimes, as well as nagging the people who don't do that, I want to thank the people who do do that, because uh, it makes a big difference. So anyway, thank you very much for listening, and see you next time on What Is This Music?